Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are back from a holiday vacation, and we've got a lot of... A lot of news right out of the gate uh, in the new year. What is it? The eighth, yeah, eighth of right. January. Yep. We've got this this crisis uh, between the U.S. and Iran, which seems to have de-escalated somewhat. For now, at least. Oh, until, yeah. Until over, Trump sends out some additional yeah, tweets over the, which are over the last inevitable. day or so. Yeah. Then we have the ongoing impeachment stuff. Let me let me quickly just uh, share with you a word from our sponsors, and then we'll get right down to it. Uh, do you love to save a buck by skipping the coffee shop? Of course, we all do. Are you a do-it-yourselfer or even a brew-it-yourselfer? So is Grady's Cold Brew. You asked and they delivered. Brew it yourself with Grady's New Orleans-style coarse ground coffee blend designed to work in any cold or hot coffee maker. One bag makes 24 servings of Grady's Cold Brew exactly the way you want it. Order online and receive 16 ounces of their famous blend of 100% Arabica beans and French chicory in a resealable pouch for long-lasting freshness. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Or you can order Grady's on Amazon.com for next day delivery. Either way, get out and purchase some Grady's because it's uh, great stuff. I hate to say it, but I think this might be the first time in a while or ever that we are without Grady's in the studio. No one's drinking it. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, three yeah. Right That's now. a bit of a Apolo- <laughs> Apologies, yeah. Grady's, but we'll, yeah. re- we'll remedy that soon. Yes, yes. So, yes. as you were saying, Josh, just this morning, we had President Trump come out and give an address to the nation. He was at the White House, surrounded by Vice President Pence, Defense Secretary Mark Esper, some other, uh, you know, uniformed military officers. And seemed to say that things are cooling down a little bit between Iran and the U.S. He said Iran appears to be standing down, and this comes after last night. There were a couple missile strikes on bases in Iraq that housed U.S. soldiers. There were no casualties, injuries, or fatalities that we know of. Um, So it seems like, in a way, it was a retaliatory strike for the Soleimani killing, but one that was, I don't know, I don't want to say symbolic exactly, but... Um, well, I think they they clearly needed to show, uh, you know, in sort of national dignity terms and domestic political consumption terms, that they were responding. That they didn't. That that, you know, they're not uh, cowed or, you know, subservient to the United States. So they had to do something. And I think with this, they sh- one thing that was interesting is a, a lot about Iran's. Uh, military practices, doctrine over the last 30, 40 years is lots of stuff that Iran does is done either covertly, as many governments do, or through proxies that they have significant but not total control over. So Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon, um, Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad 
in the Palestinian territories, uh, various uh, militias in, in Syria, in, in, in Yemen. But this was missiles shot from Iran. So, so kind of like we are openly retaliating for what you did. And uh, also demonstrating that, you know, we have the capacity to hit your people in Iraq. But it also seems very clear that the strikes were, were, were designed not to kill anybody. And CNN had some reporting suggesting as much that they were sort of intended to show, yeah, we could strike, you know, American personnel, but that it was intentionally targeted to not. You know, right. not strike anyone. And Kate, uh, you were watching Trump this morning. What else did he say uh, when he came out and, and addressed the nation? I mean, you could kind of tell from his tenor right off the bat how he was really hitting hard the no American casualties. You could see he was kind of setting the stage for him to put things in terms of a cool down of no one was killed. You know, this isn't not ratcheting he up. Said people should be grateful or something, yeah, he right? Said people should be grateful that their <laughs> missile strike didn't kill any Americans, which I thought was a weird tone from someone who loves flexing the American military. But yeah, so that's kind of how he started out, you know, did a lot of back padding for the killing of Soleimani, you know, uh, the classic, he's got American blood on his hands, should have been terminated long ago, as if he hadn't been president for the past three years. Right. But um so, and, you know, ended up announcing some more sanctions, but I think a, a term that's been kind of floated around is the off-ramp that Iran was kind of giving him a chance to, for everyone to save a little bit of face, but, you know, what we're saying about not targeting American soldiers really, and, you know, Trump kind of crowed about the uh, missile defense system working so flawlessly, which I feel like raises a little bit of eyebrows. You're like, good, but maybe that's because, you know, it was somewhat telegraphed. But I think at the end of the speech, my sense at least was at least a, a temporary off-ramp, a temporary, like things are tense. You know, I would say nothing has been really cooled down all the way, but at least we're at some kind of stasis where it doesn't seem like there's going to be at least an immediate ratcheting up of tension for now. It also seemed like the Iranians, I think, put out official statements basically saying, like, you know, about as explicitly as you can imagine, like, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. This is all we're doing. So don't respond because this is all we're doing. Right. You know, kind of really, I mean, again, you, you ideally... You want to have a lot of this stuff be subtext and everybody kind of understand what's going on. But they really kind of went out of their way to, to say, look, we're not really hurting you. So just let this stand and then everybody can kind of right. you know, go back to their corners. Yeah, Zarif, the foreign minister from Iran, tweeted, I think this morning, saying this concludes our response or something like that. So, yeah, it's pretty definitive. And I think, you know, a number of Republican senators, including Lindsey Graham, who kind of shifted his tone on his response last night. He was kind of like, war, you know, like, let's go. And then this morning was saying, you know, this is a, uh, you know, proportionate response or this, we don't need retaliation all the time. So I don't know, it seems like he's getting some cover or support from Republicans in Congress. Right. And they're kind of following his lead, I, I suppose. Yeah. And McConnell kind of telegraphed the same thing in his floor address this morning, saying, you know, essentially part of being a superpower is knowing when to practice restraint and things like that. Yeah, which which is which is true. <laughs> yeah. um, w one thing I, that struck me is, is it's, uh, well, two things. Uh, apparently, the Iranians notified the Iraqis before this. And 
certainly knowing the Iraqis would would communicate that to the U.S. So in essence, they warned the U.S. ahead of time. I think the U.S. had some uh, warning about, you know, you see missiles on, on they light up radars or whatever. You, you know, it's really hard to shoot missiles out of the sky, but you can usually see a few minutes before they're going to, they're going to arrive. So uh, there's a lot of ways that the U.S. could protect its people, but I think the tell is, is that it doesn't seem like these missiles even hit any buildings. Um, and that they could do. They could hit buildings. You know, we could sort of put people in bunkers and stuff like that. So I think it's really clear that they went out of their way not to, you know, and the 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 danger, though, is, is you know, you shoot up missiles. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. And, right. And, and uh, things can go wrong. And then, and then you're in a... Then you're everybody's in a bad situation yeah. because you can imagine, even if that were the intention, let's just say hypothetically that there was a screw up and a hundred U.S. soldiers and Marines were killed in Iraq. That would there's there's it's hard to come back from that. There's yeah. there's really. Um, th- this isn't me saying what should happen. This is just sort of a realistic description of how great powers work. Really, no American government is going to be able to just absorb that and 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 say we're not going to do anything. Right. So I think everybody should be, you know, at least breathe a contingent sigh of relief right. that that both sides, if not having taken an off ramp, have at least kind of stabilized the situation, created yeah. a possibility of of de escalating from here. So we're. It seems to me to be an awful break for Trump because. Ever since the strike, I mean, we've been trying to track the administration's response, them describing the imminent threat. And it's just, you know, they're careening from one pseudo explanation to another, switching the excuse from this was a preemptive strike to this was retribution for past acts of violence. I mean, it's clear. Imminent threat that was in the past. Which was retroactive, (laughs) right. I mean, it's clear just as a casual observer that. This was not thought through, and they they don't even they can't even coalesce behind an ex- explanation for why they killed Soleimani now. So I mean, just journalism aside, as a casual observer, you know, I was just like, we're you know barreling into this, and it seems like not only was no one warned, it seems like this wasn't even really discussed much. And you know, we got that report that the Pentagon gave him different. Um, options of what to do and he opted for this extreme measure and officials were shocked and that's like the end of the paragraph right, and you're right. like oh okay i guess we're doing it so wait are you, are you saying that 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 the sort of the upshot of what happened over the last 12 or 18 hours is a negative for for trump no I, no, no oh, i'm okay. saying it's a huge break for trump oh, oh right 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 you, i think he's lucky yeah i mean i you know what i always come back to in these situations is uh you know we never know and this is this is kind of by design. We never know why Trump does things. We know there's also we know there's lots of in the shadows uh you know drivers of his actions. Uh in in this case, I I think everybody agrees that at some level impeachment must have driven this if only because someone feels like they're on the ropes. They 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 just at a at a characterological level, they feel they need to assert themselves. Um but we, we we don't know why this happened. Um, yes, there's there's the, the U.S. has been in this. You know, U.S. and Iran have a long history. 
uh, Soleimani is 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 closely tied to most of the things we're upset about. So the you know it's not like it's out of the blue. You know we're not going to uh, presumably do this to a French general, <laughs> but but still why and 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 why now and 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 even like there's another thing that i again still total mystery what happened to that thing with that letter where we basically send a letter to the iraqi government saying okay you said we got to leave we, we're leaving now and then like they say it's a mistake like <laughs> what's going on there like that is just sort of like really inexplicable how yeah. how that comes to pass like what you know it because the most basic thing with this you know targeted killing assassination whatever you want to call it is that it is totally predictable that there would be a big push for iraq to to expel u.s uh, troops from Iraqi right, the, soil. The strike was at the airport in Baghdad where Soleimani was, right? Yeah, it's it's on Iraqi soil. They're close to, I mean, all the, you know, all, all these kind of things. Now, sometimes when that happens, they have to say that at first and they kind of hope everything kind of blows over and things can go back to normal. But certainly that's going to be an issue. So the existence of that letter kind of makes it seem like we hadn't completely thought through like all right we're just gonna go are we gonna say no are we gonna say let's think about it let's go to counseling you know like like it's just so basic and and stuff like that is just you know there's just an air of confusion about everything that happens with this administration in that sense it's not it's it is similar in some ways to what seems like a very different development back in October when Trump just said he's pulling out of uh, Syrian Kurdistan. Just why? How'd that happen? Yeah. Same thing. No idea. Well, I think, the, and the letter thing is interesting too, because I think it it kind of drives at the heart of a contradiction that Trump has been, you know, campaigning on and just shouting from the rooftops at every point, which is, I'm going to end the wars, bring the troops home, same time. You know, these places don't get to push us around. Like, this is American might, you know, you don't trifle with us, which has been, you know, a complete contradiction that he's been running with for ages. It's like, okay, so how do we, you know, show our military muscle to these places while withdrawing troops? You know, it never makes any sense. And now there's about 5,000 additional troops being sent to the region, right? That was sort of announced in the immediate wake of the Soleimani killing. Yeah, 3,000, 5,000, something around there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was just an immediate surge of you know humans who have to exactly, go yeah. yeah yeah which is why i think this whole thing was as baffling as it was you know there's also you can't divorce it from the human cost of the trump administration's dysfunction on this issue yeah i mean one question i have for you both is that we're about a week from the actual sort of assassination or killing you know whatever term we want to use um in the solomani Sol- incident obviously Trump could have responded differently to the strikes last night. I mean, it seemed in the immediate aftermath of the killing, I guess this was late Thursday night, right, that the news broke. You know, a lot of a lot of analogies and flashbacks back to kind of like the start of the Iraq war and the invasion in 2003. Why do we think, I mean, why do you think Trump has decided to kind of take a pause or, I don't know, back off and sort of say, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of good as far as things go right now. 
Well, I think one thing is they the Iranians have given him this opportunity. Now, I don't think to me, it seems highly likely or a given that at some future point, probably in a in a more deniable way, they will exact other retribution for the, for this happening. But at least big picture, they've basically. I mean, look, we hit them very very hard and and inflicted what for them for for what that to that government is a huge price, and they have they have gone out of their way to announce if you just let us sort of fire off some missiles we're going to we're going to call this you know we're even and just in the in 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 the most uh crass terms that's a huge win for Trump that's a huge win for the United States we like we like clobbered them over the head and and they agreed to sort of slap on the wrist a yeah bit. kind of a slap on the wrist and in, in response i mean i think you know one of the big things with um uh, people talk about, you know, uh, when you go from, you know, low level hostilities to you're in a war, wars can be, you need to have something to fight over, right? And that's the, that's the thing I think that people often don't quite, uh, that doesn't figure into the conversation because like, okay, let's say now, like, all right, we're going to go to war. Well, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to invade Iran and, like, occupy Iran and, and run it for a while? And that's, I, I think, very few, um, uh, that makes very little sense. And and it's not even, not just, like, to people who maybe are, have a more kind of dovish geopolitical outlook, even to, like, I think most more hawkish generals. That, that does not make any sense. This is a big country. It is, and a, its its military is more formidable than Iraq, right? Much more formidable than yeah, and than Iraq. Logistically, what three times the size of Iraq, which we've never managed to conquer completely. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's there's other things about Iraq. Iraq is, Iraq was always a very brittle state, right? It doesn't. It it is a kind of a new creation. It's a relatively new creation, about a century old. Um, it it's it's kind of three different communities and stuff Iran in in their sort of own national story has a has a a national story they see you know to to a great to a very re, to a realistic extent going back thousands of years it's just a very different thing so what is war going to be i would think that most if you were to kind of look find you know look for the sort of the most hawkish generals in the pentagon what they would say is all right we're going to go in we are going to you know decimate their air force we're going to you know blow up a lot of their ships we're going to we're going to basically going to destroy all their stuff all their army stuff um you know throw them way back uh make it so they can't really you know uh you know sort of uh exert force for a long time and that's it. We don't want to occupy the country. Maybe you kind of go in and maybe you try to kind of uh, uh, decapitate the government or something like that. But that, that's the thing. With, with Iraq, I mean, we went in and, and we invaded the country. That's a war, right? So it's, it's even hard to say, you know, what, what are you actually going to try to do? Yeah. And what are they going to resist? Right. I also think part of it, you know, um, I was talking with one of our editors, John Light, about trying to figure out what Trump's motivation here was. And, you know, at a basic level, you know, one of the things we were talking about is presidents usually win re-election in wartime. And it could be 
that simplistic of a motivation is what at least got him interested. Yeah, wasn't there? I think maybe John was. I mean, you flag, someone flagged this somewhere in one of, in one of our uh, staff chats that there was like a Times piece today that quoted some source of Trump saying, "Hey, this will be really popular." This it was in the Washington Post. Post. Okay. Yeah, yeah okay. that's what he was uh, trying to argue to aides right in the aftermath of the strike, and that Iran that, wouldn't do anything too stupid, right? Or and like that, that this will surely be political, politically popular. Um, but I think part of the reason why he might have been disabused of that notion goes back to what you're saying, which is the the motivation to attack here is so weird and so vague. And you know, no one's arguing that Soleimani was a good person, you know, but everyone's asking why now was he worth the possible ramifications? And I think to some degree to kind of rally that like rabid patriotism that like this is our president leading us in war, you have to at least have something to point to that's like, this is what he did to us. Like we can't take this sitting down. It's like, well, what did he do exactly? You know, and you can point to disparate attacks on Americans for sure, but I just don't realistically see a majority of Americans being like, oh, the threat of an attack to Americans in that region is caused to go to war. I think, honestly, most Americans would be like, well, why are they there? Yeah, and we've already been in these long, drawn-out conflicts for about 20-some years, that right? Too. It's sort of like, in a way... I mean, we've been at war. You know, Politico had this kind of ridiculous statement leading playbook this morning saying, like, Trump is now a wartime president. It's kind of like we've been in war for this whole time. It hasn't stopped. What's Afghanistan, you know? Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I just think people's... Well, I think the point, I mean, the, the best, the sort of the best argument we have for, like, retribution is that uh, he and and the uh, Revolutionary Guard and this Quds Force, which is sort of their kind of special forces, paramilitaries, yeah. whatever th- thing, um, were um, advancing a policy of basically trying to kill a lot of U.S. soldiers in Iraq to get us out, to sort of raise the temperature and raise the stakes of of of, of being in Iraq, and. I, most people you hear from say probably responsible for hundreds of deaths, which is a huge, you know, which is a huge thing. And you probably multiply that by, you know, several fold of people who now ha- don't have legs. You know, oh, it's 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 a big deal. But that happened, kind of. You know, we it's it's not that it it's not to um, it's not to discount it, but but we've already experienced that. So, and I think when you get a a uh, a sort of a wartime rally around, you know, the president, it's because that either you protected us from something that's going to happen, or you've created a new thing where we're under a great threat and we got to stick by you kind of whether we agreed with it in the first place or not. And neither neither thing really a, a, applies here. I mean, it's funny because one of, certainly the, um, certainly the, killing of Osama bin Laden was a it's it's not clear to me quite how quite its long-term political effects for Barack Obama but it was certainly part a big part of what the Democrats kind of put forward as Obama's story going in, you know, going mm-hmm. into There's re-election. that famous, I mean, from the convention, I right? I think it was actually a Biden line, yeah, believe it or not. Osama bin Laden is dead and General Motors <laughs> yeah. is alive or yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And some of that is obviously there was there was just the political reality is, is that is that Obama had probably a little more to prove 
than a Republican president, you know, rightly or wrongly on that. And just America had a score to settle with with Osama bin Laden, a score, a score that we settled with a lot of other people that didn't, <laughs> right. that didn't really do anything to yeah. us, but that we had a very legitimate you know, kind of righteous score to settle with that person. And I'm not trying to get into, you don't have to agree with this or not, but lots of, this was unfinished business for lots and lots of people in this country. And certainly um, my sense, it had been, a, I guess, about exactly a decade, kind of figured like, you, you know, it's like, D.B. Cooper or something like that, just someone who just disappears, you never hear from again. So it just kind of seems like you'd never, you know, in every few years you'd say like, oh, he's like, he's he's at death's door because mm-hmm. of his kidneys and maybe he died or maybe he uh, has reinvented himself as a barber in, in <laughs> Pakistan, you know, just all these bizarre yeah. stories. And like, okay, nope, found him, he's dead. And that was sort of, that was a big thing. And this Baghdadi thing, you know, the the... We, we don't really he didn't do anything here I mean he may have inspired some people to do whatever you mean Soleimani or are you talking about ISIS no now I'm yeah. talking about Baghdad yeah. um, <clears throat> that that yes horrific things there inspired some things that happened here but it's just some random dude M- most people don't even yeah. I, I, I I would be highly confident that before that uh, before he was killed if you polled people maybe 5% of Americans would know who he was right. where man I mean, even now, Bin Laden is just like a, it, it's so freighted. It's such a big deal. And with the Soleimani guy, like, no, you know, no one knew who he was. I think that's a huge part of it. And the idea that the homeland was never in danger, like, that was one of the first questions I heard whatever show that um, Pompeo went on right after the strike. You know, one of the host's first question was, was this imminent threat? you know, to the homeland. And he was like, oh, no, it was in the region. You know, at that moment, I was just like, okay, this is a different, you know, this is a different kettle of fish. Because, I mean, 9-11 was the, the marking trauma of our time for the nation. Like, of course, people have a vested interest in who collective imagination has put as this the leader. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have a vested interest in seeing him killed. It's just different. I just yeah, think for yeah. most Americans, the idea that there are people in these Middle Eastern countries who harbor a great hatred of Americans and want to see Americans killed and who have a hand in that is not like out of the realm of possibility. I think people assume that those people are there operating in that way, but it's just not the same level of, I think, personal experience than if those people were threatening us here in right. America. And maybe we, maybe we can end this topic um, on one detail or one point that you wrote up recently, Kate, which was speaking of Obama, Trump has this long history of saying that the former president would launch an attack on Iran to get himself reelected. Tell us about some of those tweets and kind of like how those have come up again. recently. Yeah, I mean, it's classic. There's a tweet for everything, right? And so there was just a flurry of tweets uh, from, you know, political pundit Donald Trump being like, <laughs> you know, Obama's going to do this just to secure re-election. You know, you mark my words and he's going to do it because he's not skilled enough to just negotiate, you know, and you just read all that and you're like, nah, well, look at the time, you know, what's right around the corner here. Right, right. And there was one in like 2011, was it? Um, I don't know. They kind of spanned several years, right? Yeah. I think they, the intensity might have ratcheted up right before re-election. Right. But. And well, then there, there was also a big thing in 2006 of a, uh, 
everybody was saying that that Bush was gonna was gonna launch a war, and that was how he was. Well, he wouldn't be reelected, but I guess it was actually that 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 uh, he would uh, improve his party's chances in two thousand six, maybe get another Republican elected in in, in two thousand eight, and there was this big push for war with Iran in in in, in two thousand six, which to some extent was, I mean, was tied to. You know, just a lot of people's long-standing desire to get into a war with Iran, but to the extent that it had a real trigger, it was because a lot of this stuff that people talk about the Soleimani guy doing is in the 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10 era, the kind of the late heavy involvement in in uh, in in Iraq era. So yeah. It's, and then I guess the financial collapse thing. kind of overtook everything after that, basically, right? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, <laughs> yeah, sort of. Um, well, obviously, Obama came in with a very different, uh, you know, very different sure. set of priorities. Yeah. Um, but I think there was, there, there were a few things that kind of ratcheted that, you know, ratcheted that down. Um, I think in some ways, Bush, it became clear that Bush was just not going to go for that. Right. Um, So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to talk about impeachment. But first, let's uh, take a quick break to hear a word from our. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Sponsor. All right. So we've been in kind of this uh, twilight zone impeachment period between the House vote, which happened late last year um when was that like mid-december now i'm, I'm yeah the holidays have warped so. my uh we're like in a three week to a month range yeah. from yeah. when it happened pelosi came out house speaker nancy pelosi came out uh you know in the in the moments after that historic vote to say eh, well we're gonna just kind of hold on to these articles of impeachment for a little bit see what's going to happen over in the senate and basically that's kind of where we stand now right um schumer and mcconnell the leaders in the Senate have not really been negotiating in any real way. I mean, they've been sort of delivering dueling floor speeches aimed at one another. Uh, Kate, you wrote about McConnell's latest statement today, which came after Pelosi sent a letter last night saying, yep, I'm still not going to send over the, mm-hmm. the articles of impeachment. What's what's the latest there? I mean, McConnell is kind of now making the play that a lot of Republicans were telegraphing they were going to, which is that Democrats are playing politics while a crisis erupts overseas, you know. And um, McConnell announced uh, Tuesday that he now has the requisite votes to approve his rule proposal, which is to go ahead and get started with the trial and then to have, you know, a period of 
I think he just called it sort discussion of, like, of whether or not right. to call witnesses. Start with like opening statements, right? After from opening each side, statements, right. and I think a question submission period for the senators. So. Uh, yeah, so he's indicating that he has, you know, the likes of the moderates, the ones who are most likely to buck the party, willing to go along with him. And they've pretty much all made public statements to that effect. You know, Murkowski, Collins, Romney all basically said they'd go along well, with it. What is it? They What is it? 53 Senate? 53 Republicans? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so, so that... And they need four, I mean, you need four votes to kind of over overrule yeah. him or them. Right. So, so but that, so that even... Um, allows for maybe two people but like maybe Romney's not on board but it doesn't matter because they got other people totally. on board right and he's the only one who has actually signaled that and even he, like he isn't saying like dude I'm not no way we're doing this without witnesses he just <laughs> says I wouldn't mind hearing from him but we'll see right. what happens right yeah and right this comes a couple days after uh, former national security advisor John Bolton announced that he would testify in the trial if he were subpoenaed uh, obviously House uh, Democrats wanted to hear from him, but Bolton kind of piggybacked on this lawsuit that one of his former aides had kind of launched to resist being deposed or questioned or appearing for testimony. And so obviously Bolton's no longer in the government. He can do whatever he wants. Um, but that has kind of added a new wrinkle to this. And then McConnell this morning said something about, well, you know, the witnesses that we might call might not be people you want to hear from too, right? Do you think, right. is that a kind of hint that, oh, maybe like Hunter Biden will be in the mix or maybe, I don't know, who else would be kind of some of their trolling I would just think witnesses? even for Republicans, I think it would be a hard argument to make that we're going to call our witnesses and you're not going to call yours. I would think it'd be easier to say no witnesses at all. Well, yeah, yeah I think the key is, is that they don't have any witnesses. There are that no, <laughs> and, and again, the, the at, at a certain level, the Senate can do anything it wants. But to the extent you're following any aspect of the logic of the Constitution, the House gets to indict for something. It's not just like we're going to have, we're going to duke it out. Right. The, the House is saying Trump did this thing. And the question is whether he did the thing. OK, <laughs> it's not whether it's not a kind of a what about thing where you could say, oh, we're going to we're going to put, you know, Joe Biden on trial. I mean, you really you really can't do that. So so Hunter Biden is not really relevant to anything that has anything to do with anything. That's right. Because the evidence has already been presented. Right. Well, it, it's not just that, it, you know, the House you know, in an alternative universe where, where, um, you know, Biden's still vice president, they could have impeached Biden over something to do with Biden and Hunter Biden, but that didn't happen. So it's not, you know, by, by any, if you're holding to any kind of standard that is anything like any kind of trial, this is just like, you know, uh, do you want to bring in uh, whoever said you know, uh, they sold cocaine to Obama. Like, okay, <laughs> that is just not relevant to what right. we're talking about here. So I doubt, and and I and I kind of doubt. To Kate's point, I doubt. The, I I don't think the Republican senators really quite have the stomach for that. I'm sure Trump would love it. Just the just the train wreck of it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the thing. They don't really have any witnesses r relevant to this stuff. That that they want to bring because and all, all the witnesses are, are, are incriminating. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, if say they were to bring Hunter Biden, you know what Democrats would be like, 
do you know anything about this Ukrainian pressure campaign? He'd be like, no. I sat on the board of a Ukraine company for... Yeah, a while ago. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago for this amount of time. And then be like, all right, well... <laughs> cool. Thanks for coming in. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously it, w- it would... It, it would accomplish some things for Republicans with some voters. I mean, it would just be kind of playing to the to the Trump people. I mean, what interests me, I noticed that this morning, and we're, we're uh, taping this Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, like midday, this morning, I guess Dianne Feinstein made a made a statement that something like, "Hey, you know, Pelosi's just send these along." We, we yeah, do there's this, a few other Democratic do, senators do this or do this or not do this. And I noticed that on Twitter, lots of Republican like operatives and talking head types are like, "Oh my God, oh my God, Feinstein's calling," you know, blowing the whistle. This is all over. <laughs> and I don't know which others, whatever. My sense, I mean, one of the one of the kind of blind spots we have right now is there's always this kind of holiday polling lull. So we don't really know how all this is is playing. There's very few polls. But what few polls there are, and again, I think mainly there's so few that you have house effects and whatever, they show removal actually getting more popular. Um, Again, I think we just don't really know. But my sense, first of all, who cares what Diane Feinstein says? I think this is keeping them off balance and more stuff's coming out. And if I'm Pelosi, what, wh- why? Why? This is this is just me. You know, I'm kind of holding the football, right? And you want the football. It's at least making you upset. <laughs> so why am I going to give you the football? Right. It's just why. I mean, and I, I totally agree with that. And I also feel like what's going to happen in the Senate trial is more or less inevitable, right? Like we've known how it's going to go down for ages. There are some factors we might not maybe Romney is going to say let's have witnesses but at the end of the day he is not going to be removed from office the votes just don't allow it so why would Pelosi let that narrative become the narrative of the day and let Trump be happy and crow that he was acquitted and everything well right now the story is Trump was impeached that's still the story and you know is there going to be a real trial are you going to let, uh, you know, I, I don't think any day where the question is, are the Republicans going to allow there to be witnesses? That's not a good day for them because, like, why? Do, of course, you don't want to um, you don't want to allow witnesses because you're guilty. Right. That's just obvious. Um, and, you know, eventually, I think she'll send them over and they'll have trial and whatever. But as you said, if she would have sent them day one, this would have been long since done. The whole question of witnesses would be moot because it'd be it wouldn't have happened and it's done and he's like acquitted and exonerated and he'd be you know jumping around like a <laughs> monkey and everything. So and and again, you, it's this funny thing with Republicans keep saying like, oh, this is this is bad for Pelosi. Everybody's really upset about this. Yeah, the case is weak. And yeah, she- just showing how it's weak and and and. Uh, Blah blah and blah and blah, <laughs> and and when I look at it, they're like, you know, only pre- only people who seem really unhappy about this is you, and like that's a really good case for kind of just like you know, it, at a certain level, it's almost like Trumpian trolling, right? Kind of like you're not happy. That's a really good rationale <laughs> right? Right, right there. I guess the only wrinkle I could see about the timing of this is that the Iowa caucuses are less than a month away, right? I mean, the campaign the presidential campaign is kind of getting underway in a real way there are a handful of senate you know senators running two i guess in practice right i mean i guess klobuchar you know whatever (laughs) but i mean i don't know to me that's sort of like 
that's kind of like an 1890s kind of theory of campaigning? Is it really kind of like, oh, I had to fly back to Washington for a day, man. <laughs> yeah. I had to go dark in Iowa. <laughs> I mean, come on. If anything, it's like it, this whole idea that you're going to like wrong foot these, these senators. I don't buy that. I mean, if anything, if I'm like, if I'm Sanders or, or, or Warren or like Klobuchar, it just gives me a, a kind of an opportunity to like virtue signal to my people in Iowa. I mean, how like, cool I'm not going to stand for this. Ah, to yeah. be like, I'm going to uh, put my campaign aside yeah. for a second to go try to convict the president for these crimes. Or just like call it like, hey, I'm calling from the Senate. Right. Where I'm out I'm in the in, hallway. Yeah. I like had to make a <laughs> where quick I'm, call. Where I'm working on removing <laughs> Trump from office. Right. Yeah. So that whole like, look, at a certain point, I think if you impeached him, you got to send the things. But like, doesn't have to be today. Yeah. Doesn't have to be tomorrow. I totally agree. I just, I don't see the hurry. And I think every time, you know, there falls into that, you know, the Republican belly aching right now, like Democrats aren't following the rules. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> Democrats aren't following the rules. It's like, it's the first time there's been even like a taste of their own medicine of being like, no, we're just going to do this to kind of be assholes really to like make Trump angry to keep everyone off balance. It just keep that, that, that to me is the fundamental thing. It keeps, it keeps all of them off balance, keeps Trump off balance mm-hmm. because at, you know, yeah, almost certainly never going to be removed highly unlikely any Republican even votes against him. So you probably don't even get a, a simple majority. Um, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows what could come out? That's and, true. And, and it's, it, I, I think the Democrats should be doing more like in, in places like Colorado and Iowa and uh, was it uh, North Carolina and Georgia, where you've got these, you've, you've got these senators who, clearly want this to be done vote to acquit and move on and and allow themselves the flexibility in in you know next october november to kind of you know depending on where things are to say oh you know it was really you know i i really wanted a fair trial too bad that mitch mcconnell guy wouldn't let me have <laughs> right. a fair trial right you know you need to be kind of locking it in for for those guys and mcconnell's for up for re-election now. in 2020 yeah. He is. Uh, he is. I mean, right. it's one of those things where kind of <laughs> it's it's become uh, Democrats have come to assume, probably rightly, that even though he has like fifteen percent favorability, <laughs> that he that he cannot be right. defeated in that state. Although, but frankly, you know, uh, in twenty fourteen, I guess it was, which was obviously a huge year for the Republicans. Uh, he had a pretty. You know, the Democrats, I can't remember who ran. Was that Allison Lundergan Grimes or was that before that? Uh, that may have. Yeah, that sounds, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, there was that auto-tune ad, What Rhymes with Allison Lundergan Grimes, I think was a McConnell ad. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. you can Google it if you want to <laughs> go down that memory hole. Yeah, because now it's Amy McGrath, right? right? Yeah, who lost the House race yeah. last time. So. But in, in a very hard yeah. Yeah, district. And by yeah, by not... Not a ton, right? Very, she, very close. Yeah. Was right. it Bean or what was the? Uh, yeah, he. he <laughs> there, <laughs> this is really. I'm, I'm, I'm like delirious. There was <laughs> that was. I think that was the race where, you know, during a during a campaign, there's just a lot of weird like viral videos that come up and stuff. And I think that was the one where uh, some trackers go to the sort of you know kind of country club type house of someone holding a a, a, um, a fundraiser 
for the Republican incumbent. And this guy comes out and like really like kind of upper crust South kind of, you know, pink button down, <laughs> you know, shirt, kind of very kind of coiffed, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, gray hair. And he comes out to the, to the tracker and he's like, you know, boy, I got to hurt you. If you don't leave my property, and he kind of like pushes him. I remember stuff, this, yeah. right? That, that, that was yeah, yeah. that was that race. Yeah. That was that race. All right. All right. Well, just totally. Delayed. Maybe that's a good. Maybe it's a <laughs> yeah. good place to leave it. Um, just to flag for listeners, if you know, got some busy news events coming up. Uh, there's a debate on Tuesday night. We'll be tracking. Like I said, the Iowa caucuses are less than a month away. The night after that, I guess that would be a Wednesday, right? The State of the Union address is happening. So stay with us. Uh, yeah. It will be a busy time. <laughs> yeah, let but, me uh, just remind everybody, uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is the sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. So if you want to get an epically good deal, you can get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. And if you're just like, you know, kind of like junkied out and you need like a fix like right away, you can also order it from Amazon.com for next day delivery. Perfect. All right. Nice to see you both. Yep. Thank later. You. Bye. Thanks, everyone.